You know, one of my favorite uh, stories of, of yours is, is uh, not a true story, of course, but this, this metaphor of, for want of a nail, a kingdom fell, right? And what does that mean? It means the notion of, you know, you failed to, you know, do the horseshoe nail in the right place, and because of that, the, the horse tripped. Because of that, the knight fell and died, or whatever it was, or it was stabbed himself, and he was the lead uh, knight, and therefore the, the battle could not commence without him, and somebody else had to take charge of, him, of the matter. He wasn't as familiar with the terrain, and the, ba- the bad guys won. All right, the other side won, at the very least. I always love that story. Why? Because it's, it's not only a cautionary tale, but it, tells, it talks about the details, of, about how details are so important. You must always pay attention to the small things. Don't assume that they'll go away. No big deal. It's like you know driving your car and it's got a flat, and you'll say, "Well, I can drive on that for another hundred miles. It won't. It won't be a big deal." But you know, or 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 the gas is is down to E, and you're in the desert, and you say, "Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. These gas gauges don't mean anything. I'll just ignore it." You know, bad things will happen as a result. Likewise uh, with famous last words, right? I'm just going to try this cocaine, <laughs> right? Or uh, I'm, sh- I'm off the wagon. I've been off the wagon alcohol-wise for, you know, six years. But what's a little wine going to do to me right now, right? No, no big whoop. Famous last words. And I bring this up because I want to talk about the catastrophe that is the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation and so many other things that, that bookended this election, this past election, and it's still echoing as we speak today. It's a fascinating story. I mean, we, we spoke once, we had a podcast about how the end of the Obama administration was to be. And we talked about how Hillary Clinton, for her part, would have her clawing at the walls of her campaign headquarters on election night, screaming and throwing things, crying, and saying, how could I lose to that idiot, right? You know that that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And, 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 and all things kind of pointed to that, the fact that she had to throw John Podesta out there in order to you know, take the heat for her or whatever. But she, she, was, she was no position to speak to her people. Told, he told them to, to leave and all that stuff. She wasn't camera ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed, I, right. Uh, that's a good, very good point. But, but it turns out that that is just, in a way, the beginning of the end. There's so much more. And we, we like to have timeless podcasts. You know that. But this, in a sense, is a timeless podcast. I feel like we're talking about the wisdom of Shakespeare's Hamlet and what we can learn from Hamlet, right? Hamlet being a, you know, a study of what hesitation does to, to the lives of everyone, right? How everyone dies in Hamlet, right? And you think, oh, if only Hamlet had just killed his uncle, you know, you wouldn't have Ophelia going crazy. You wouldn't have his, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Polonius dead and so on and all the other people. And then, then of course, he himself dies too. Everyone dies in Hamlet. Because he can't make a damn decision. Right. <laughs> Stick right. with it. Right. And Mac- <laughs> Macbeth, there's, there are similar stories there. Um, you know, for, that, that's why they call them tragedies because in some ways it harks to a human condition and boom, terrible things happen. And uh, I just, Julius Caesar, I mean, it's, these are, 
Shakespeare's greatness is because he taps into all of that. And you, you say, wow, if only, if only they had done this or realized that their arrogance would be their undoing and so forth, right? So the story of the Obama administration is a Shakespearean tragedy in its own right. I'm not going to make a comparison to Hamlet or Macbeth or, or um, King Lear or what have you. It's, it's its own Shakespearean tragedy that maybe blends them all. I don't know. But I just want to study it because it truly is. And, and think of all the ripple effects that have occurred as a result of the Obama administration. Uh, we now know, for example, that this surveillance issue, it's a big issue. It all started with, with what, about a month ago, uh, Trump tweeting out that he cannot believe he has been tired, wiretapped by the Obama administration, uh, outrageous or frustrating or something like that, right? And, and it turns out, you know, everyone said, oh, this is outrageous. New York Times said this is so un unfounded. Even the Wall Street Journal said this, unsubstantiated and such. Turns out, pretty substantiated. In fact, very substantiated. Completely substantiated. Yeah. Uh, and and it, at first, when it first became clear that there was surveillance, they were all abuzz about, well, that's different than wiretapping. Okay, it might be worse than wiretapping, right? Because wiretapping is one way of surveilling somebody. Surveilling in other ways, there's, that's even worse. So, so they, you know, to their credit, they, they kind of abandoned that distinction argument, that wiretap versus surveillance. They now know that he was surveyed. And we, we spoke uh, on my Sunday show about Evelyn Farkas, this woman who used to be the assistant deputy for the NSA, I think it was. Uh, no, she was, a, she was the deputy secretary of defense yes. for the Russia-Ukraine right, right, right. Uh, Thank you. Baltic yeah. region. That's right. Yeah, which was you know, very savvy and, and very important in, for all that we're talking about now, especially when you're talking about the Russian alleged collusion in the election and so forth. So she, she comes out and she basically says, yeah, I was instructed to find as much information. We, the plan was to get as much information about the Trump administration before January 20th, the day that he became the actual president, because who knew what he would do and destroy all the evidence? So we were there as white knights to save the day. More or less, that's what she's, she's saying. Not realizing that by saying this, that she's basically admitting that this is what the administration wanted, right? Rush to get this evidence by hook or by crook. Surveillance. Thank you very much. And they did it through this backdoor technique of um, what is it, collateral information or collateral surveillance? Well, they, they're using the word incidental. Incidental. Over and over. Incidental but, collection, but that's right. For the dear listeners of this podcast who are more informed than the readers of the New York Times, just pretend that that word doesn't exist because there's nothing incidental about any of this. <laughs> just, let's just cut to that. All right. So. So then... It's, it just so you know, it's like using the word alleged when you're talking about O.J. killing his wife. Right. It's that's just right. sort of from the style book. You have to say that. Yeah, yeah that's right. And until he's actually convicted, then you say a convicted killer. Right. Uh, all right, whatever. So uh, then a, about a week later, Susan Rice. It, it, it becomes clear that she is one of the central players who surveyed Donald Trump. And then she, she can't deny it. She doesn't deny it. She, what she does say is, uh, well, we didn't do anything for political reasons. All right. So I'm like, okay, but, but you did survey him and that itself is illegal. She also actually told the truth because she used the double negative. I know nothing about nothing, nobody. Right. You know, one of those yeah, where yeah. If, you, if you just go by the logic of the language, it means 
I knew everything about everyone. I, you know, okay, I, I, I'm not going to go there with her, but yeah, I know. it is interesting that her choice of words. Were, I don't, I don't think she meant it that way, but I, I understand. But she did the Sergeant Schultz defense. Okay, you know? I, I don't want to lose track of, of what I want to say here because uh, she she also talked. Uh, you know, we also now know that she surveyed congressmen. She got collective information about that, the Israelis, and a whole host of others. And, and this is a point that Mark Levin recently brought up, and th that's not denied. That is, that's a clear admission. All right, so now we're led to believe that somehow those things happened, but this thing on Donald Trump didn't happen? P.S., if it's true that it was not political, then why didn't she also survey Hillary Clinton? Why wasn't incidental information gathered about her? Because we know that Hillary Clinton was speaking to the Russians as well. All right? So somehow, it only, the only incidental collection, to use that phrase, is uh, with regard to Trump and his Trump Tower, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't jibe very well. Yeah, and, and I think that point needs to be elaborated a little bit because, because there are things like, oh, all those donations to the Clinton Foundation from the Russians— all those right. selling of the U.S. uranium supplies. Oh, but, you, but we get ahead of ourselves. We get ahead of ourselves when you talk about that. Yeah. I'm getting there. Oh, oh okay. don't you worry. Uh, that is part. This is that's chapter three. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. I want to. I want to talk in sequence. This is a Shakespearean tragedy. All right. So you're with me so far, and it just gets worse and worse for Susan Rice when Mitch McConnell and uh, Lindsey Graham. Both call for her to testify before Congress under oath. Yeah, this isn't this isn't Mike Lee and uh, Rand Paul here. Right, so these aren't hardcore conservatives. Yeah, or, or Trey Gowdy or any of yeah, those guys. These are the guys that when the liberal media wants a Republican to bash Republicans, these are the guys they go to. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? All right, so so bad things are about to go down because this is that would clearly be illegal, clearly. So there's no defense. All she can say is, well, I didn't intend it to be political. That has nothing to do with the price of tea in China, which we will get to in a moment. <laughs> Both tea and China. <laughs> um, but but that, that's, that's fascinating to me. It's, it's a little bit like saying uh, you're caught speeding 120 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone, zone, and uh, your defense is, well, I didn't know that I was going 125 or I didn't mean to go 125, or I didn't, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't hurt anybody. I mean, those are irrelevant defenses. I think her answer is more akin to, I didn't know I was driving a car. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so, so, but it all gets worse. Because right now, th this is, these are felonies. It's, it's hard to get around, and I want the Trump administration, I want, better yet, the Justice Department to pursue this because it's bad stuff. Now, in the meantime, they're hoisted by their own petard because what had happened was that the Clinton administration, the Obama administration, and well, not the Clinton administration, the Clinton campaign and the Obama um, administration had pursued this notion that the Russians had been colluding with Trump to win this election, that somehow that, that turned everything around. Uh, how much evidence uh, do they present? Zero. It's, it's now absolutely clear that there is no evidence of that whatsoever. To say nothing of, even if they did have some evidence, that what does it look like? What does influence look like? 
Yeah, right? why don't you show it to us? Yeah, it, it, does that mean a bunch of Russians, you know, started, you know, putting something in the water to hypnotize us or to make us more susceptible to hypnotizing? What's, what does that look like, influence? Yeah, and how did the Russians have this skill to make sure Hillary only won the popular vote but only lost the electoral vote? <laughs> that's right. I mean, yeah. that's some skill. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid Ivan. We told you about the electoral vote. You focused on popular vote, stupid man. <laughs> That's right. In America, they have this electoral crazy crap. Yeah, why? Oh, why, sorry. Why did the Russians give Trump the, ele- the popular vote too? I'm sorry, comrade. <laughs> I, I I failed you again. Oh, actually, no, no, that wasn't part of the package. For that extra fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's corruption afoot everywhere. Anyway. So that 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 is uh, that came up with the big fat donut, that whole Russia Foundation thing, a Russia collusion thing, but in the process it led to this other stuff about their surveillance. They wanted something, <laughs> they surveyed Donald Trump, hoisted by their own petard. You understand? Now, that was chapter one. Are you with me so far? Okay, chapter one was called hoisted by their own petard. Uh, the second chapter involves a woman named Hillary Clinton. You may have heard of her. She apparently ran for office. She was relatively quiet after the election results, then chimed in a couple of times regarding women and the Women's March and such like that. But and otherwise... stolen elections and recounts, I think. Yeah, yeah, that part. But that kind of went the way of the dodo as well. She, she has been, uh, for the past two months, relatively quiet. Okay. But of course, that, that's very odd, right? Another thing that has happened since the election is the Clinton Foundation and the, uh, the Global Initiative Foundation. Those things have essentially shut down. I wonder why. <laughs> Could it be? I'm going to throw out a crazy theory here. It, maybe it's even conspiratorial, and you know I'm not a big conspiracy guy. But wait a minute. It's not a conspiracy, is it? <laughs> I get it now. That's why I believe in it, because it's not a conspiracy. Here's a, a foundation that... that purported to be a, uh, he likes this, I don't know why. I, I think this is terrible. It's, it, it purported to be a way station or a, a middleman for all these wonderful charitable found, uh, donations to Haiti and otherwise. It turns out that this was just a doorway by which, you know, it's like when my brother and I were, were little, you know, we had a little street there and all that stuff. And my brother thought, hey, here's a great idea. Let's uh, post a big roadblock and, uh, you know, in order for people to get by, they have to pay us $2 each. <laughs> it's like a toll, right? And <laughs> he tried doing this. And I said, I don't think that's legal. <laughs> and he tried doing it. And, you know, people, of course, just, you know, said, I don't think so, buddy. And they moved on. And, then, and he was really outraged with them. He thought that that was their, their ability. Well, that's what the, clown, the Clinton Foundation was all about. Right? I think you just called it the clown foundation. I was, yeah, that was, it was a, a Freudian slip. Yes. Uh, but, but that's what they were doing. Like, hey, give us the money, and we'll make sure that it gets to the right places. Oh, and we trust the Clintons, of course. So therefore, give us the money. And they even said in clips, whether it's $5 or $10 or $20, you know, every little bit counts. And they pretended as if somehow they're putting aside all their political differences and their political identities, for that matter, because what matters are the poor people of X country, all right? And it turns out that they, they did nothing for these countries. They just skimmed everything. They just took it. It, it. it was so bad 
that Charity Navigator, when it was evaluating it, said, we don't know, we don't understand this business model. <laughs> and so we're unable to rate this. It, it was hysterical, right? And, and only the Clinton Foundation could get away with that, right? right. You know, it's, so, it's interesting that the- But no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Because what happened was Charity Navigators called up somebody at the Clinton Foundation. I mean, this is my supposition, but I think it's a very reasonable supposition. And they said, hey guys, I gotta tell you, we're gonna give you a really bad review because, I mean, it's gonna be like a, a 33 <laughs> grade as opposed to the 90 plus grade that, that a really good charity earns. Like Salvation Army. Right, or Stand, Stand With Us, my favorite, one of my favorite organizations, yeah. Prager University. These are <clears throat> great organizations that actually spend the money in a judicious way and make sure that it, you know, 95% of the money goes to the actual charity. Uh, for adoption, for seeing eye dogs, or you know, fire hoses, or whatever, that's what they do. Not so with the Clinton Foundation. And Charity Navigator must have said, "What are we going to do about this, guys?" And the, the foundation, this is before, way before the election, said, "There's no way in hell you're going to write us a bad review." Well, we can't give you a good review, ma'am, because you know, I mean, that's the way our system works. We'll do whatever you can, but just to say it's a bad business model or something. Sure enough, that's what it said. If you were to look at the Charity Navigator analysis of the Clinton Foundation, it would say, we cannot rate this because it's got a business model that we don't understand. Business model that we don't understand? Are you kidding? It's, it's a charity. It's supposed to be giving money to people in need. What's so hard about this? Where's the business? I didn't know they were doing business. It's a nonprofit. I mean, it's like making a car that doesn't have wheels, doesn't move. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't even have air conditioning. It doesn't have a wheel, a steering wheel for that matter. It doesn't have a roof. It, 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 it's a box maybe. <laughs> and, and you can get into it, I suppose. And then they would say, well, we can't evaluate this car because it's a different kind of car. What, what is that? Yeah, then you yell at Consumer Reports and beg them to just say, well, it's yeah. designed in an interesting way. It design, we don't understand the design. <laughs> right, right, right. That, that's a good example. <laughs> yeah. This design is so beyond us. We can't, we can't fact. Anyway, so... So the, the Clinton Foundation goes out because all this money that was pouring in from foreign governments and interested millionaires and billionaires and such, uh, you know, they had this great lobby machine because they were buying influence. And, and Hillary and Bill Clinton were willing to sell it to them. This, what a great contraption that they had they yeah, created. Normal people would call that bribes. But oh, I, 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 you know. bribes? I call it laundering money. Yeah. Uh, it's pure laundering. Right, okay. Okay. So incidental. Incidental laundering. Yeah. There you go. Incidentally, <laughs> you went to the following organized crime outfits. <laughs> so, but that's that's what they did. And then suddenly, when she loses the election, surprise, surprise, very little money goes in. Well, but I thought you were doing it for charity, Ukraine. I thought you were doing it for charity, Congo, and Uzbekistan, all these places. Oh, but but. But when she loses, you're suddenly not as interested in charity. But I don't, I don't see what one has to do with the other. Can you please explain, Mr. Presidente of X country? I mean, it's hysterical. And nobody talks about this. It's, it's, it's so brazenly clear that it reveals the corrupt nature of the Clinton Foundation and the global initial, uh, initiative and such like that. Anyway, so, so more on Clinton, because we're now on chapter two. She as you know, started the whole kind of ball of wax going with this Benghazi business. And you'll recall it was back in, it was shortly after September 11, 2012, 
where big issues came to play. She got Susan Rice, yes, the same Susan Rice, who now claims it wasn't for political reasons and such, to go on all the Sunday shows to proclaim that the uh, attack on the Benghazi compound and the consulate uh, in, in Benghazi was, a, was not a coordinated attack. It was a random, uh, spontaneous attack resulting from a video that some poor schmuck here in California apparently arranged, and that was just, oh, just incensed them so much. Yeah, protest. It was a, such a it protest. protest and, and, and Hillary Clinton says to the widow and the, and the family of these deceased men, she dares to say, don't you worry, we're going to go after the, 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 these terrible, this terrible person who, who uh, um, produced this video, and we'll get, bring him to justice. And the, the family's like, what are you talking about? This, uh, uh, we don't get this. But she thought as if by holding their shoulders and saying this to them, that somehow they themselves would believe this crap. And it was crap. It was an instant, instant reveal, in my mind and otherwise. And then, uh, sure enough, everything started falling apart. It was not at all the video. And, and the, it was almost insulting to the radicals who actually per perpetrated this crime to say that, we're so out of control, we just kill people randomly because you know, we're, we're spontaneous people. No, 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 we organized this because we hate you Americans and you are here, that's why. Now, I'm not justifying who they are, I think they're monsters, of course. The point is, the reason why they did the, this whole spontaneous attack theory was to avoid the reality that they were uh, caught with their pants down, that they did not support these guys, that there was a it was a pre-election because Obama was running for re-election in November of that year. And they weren't about to, to engage in, a, in a, perhaps a failed military response. They didn't want to do that. And they didn't want to anger the Muslims. Uh, you know, again, an, a, another war between America and the Muslims, this time Libya? <laughs> no, thank you. Right? So they got to play it to say, we'll just call it a spontaneous attack. I would love to be able to have a documentary and the, you know, the famous words where somebody in the room said, why don't we blame it on a video? Because someone said that. Whether it was Susan Rice or somebody else. Oh, I'm sure. Somebody said that. I'm sure some, A, like Tommy Vilsack or whatever. Whatever. I'm getting the name wrong. But there was that, that guy who went on, Brett Baer, who was like 22 years old, who was a van driver for the Obama so, so, campaign. Yeah. And he says to the, the great gravitas-laden newsman, Brett Baer, Dude, what's the big deal here? And Brett Baer yes. goes, dude, because four Americans are dead, you idiot. That's right. Um, and I'm wait, sure wait, wait. he did a, a Google search and went, dude, I found a video. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be great to have like famous last words, like regrettable words in history, right? You know, like a classic line, of course. You know, honey, uh, you know, to, to Mrs. Lincoln, to Mr. Lincoln, you know, to President Lincoln, you know, I feel like going out to the theater tonight, right? You know, Bad idea, right? <laughs> so likewise, uh, this you know, famous line of, let's blame it on some video. There's always some anti-Muslim video out there. Let's find that. And then, they'll, then they can blame it on that and we can say it's spontaneous. And then you can just imagine all the nodding heads in the room. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, you know, you earned your payday today, Bobby, or whoever the, whoever the idiot who, who, yeah. was, who was thinking about this. All right, so Benghazi cascades, of course, into multiple lies upon lies, and it gets worse and worse. And then in the process, 
during the subpoenaing of the information regarding what happened in Benghazi and the instructions and such, it's discovered that she had a private server. Yeah, because they can't just come forward and just say, here's what happened, we lied, we're sorry, here's yeah. everything. Right. Had they, said that, had they said that, then it would be a question of whether or not it was appropriate to lie and you, know, you, you need to say you're sorry to the American people and such like that. And then, in other words... Plead no contest. Yeah, the right? investigation would have been over. It would have been over. But because they stonewall. Right. Because know. that's exactly what happened. So then they so the emails became an issue. Thirty-three thousand emails turned to, to be deleted. Not just the fact that they had a private server that itself was an issue. And then why were they deleted? And everything became much more of a snowball effect. Can I make one quick point that's really important? Of course. We still have not found any emails. About yoga lessons, <laughs> yes, Chelsea's wedding, or, or mother's funeral. Mom funeral. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. Are, those seem to be <laughs> missing. Right. And damn it, we need to know. <laughs> That's right. Just what happened at that funeral? Just what happened at that wedding? And what are those yoga routines? Because the public, at least, <laughs> what's that's the gossip magazine that we talk, uh, T T Z. What is it? And. What's that? TMZ. TMZ. TMZ demands to know what, you, what your, your yoga routines are. That's about the only group that could possibly be interested. But of course, we're joking about that. But it, it's just, it's so clear yeah. that horrible things were happening. Right, and then there's the drip, drip, drip of the emails. Yeah. And it just got worse and worse to the point that the, 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 the electorate, the first words that they used to describe Hillary was liar or untrustworthy, or lacking credibility, or something like that. And that's bad for a candidate going into a November election. Really, really bad. And, and there were a whole host of other issues she had to deal with that we already talked about, but the fact that she had all, all this lying behind her, that, that was really a hard sell. And, uh, but, but again, that's not necessarily just about her. It's how it affected everything else. Remember what we, what we started off this podcast with, the, the notion of because of a nail, a kingdom fell. For one of the nails. For, yeah, yeah, for one of a nail, exactly right. And, and that's what's happening here because this one little video idea, right? Somebody saying, hey, hey, let, hey, let's, hey, let's blame, let's blame on, the, on this. In other words, not, not having the integrity to say, you know what, we screwed up. They shouldn't even, they, they could even told the truth before. Uh, instead of blaming on a video in the first place, simply to say, listen, we should have responded faster. We're looking into this. Uh, we, we feel embarrassed. We were wrong. We apologize to the, the family of the slain uh, four uh, you know, people who, who died in Benghazi. Uh, it shouldn't have happened this way. Yeah, we were caught with our pants down. Yeah. Sorry, we'll learn for it. We'll yeah, we're going to look through it. And, and their lives are not going to be in vain. It's going to make our army stronger, our intelligence response faster, whatever it might be. They could have gone with that, and that would have been fine. I mean, it would have been hard to, to take that for the families, of course, but nevertheless, it would have been kind of come and gone. And then the video thing. Well, that was made it worse, but they could have admitted to that lie as well. Still, the American population is very, very forgiving, but they kept on going with that lie and expanded to every, every last thing you can imagine, including the Clinton Foundation. All sorts of things started coming out that revealed the very corrupt nature of the Clintons. How it just was a bribe factory. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing else. Oh, so it's, it's extraordinary. And, and then, you know, it, it was, um, and it got to the point where during the debate with Clinton, between Trump and Clinton, 
Trump was able to say, and with a straight face, lady, you're going to jail. Or, or you'd be in jail. She, Whatever. She poses the question. It's important that it's yeah. accurate in this regard. She poses the question, what would happen if that man, pointing to Trump, was in charge of the Justice Department? And then he said to her, great response, you'd probably go to jail. Right. That was a good response. Thank you for correcting me, Ari yeah. David. I really appreciate but that. It's, it, Son he, of my a... My point is, it was, it was not unstimulated. You know, the, yeah. the response was provoked out of him right. by her trying to portray herself as this bastion of integrity. Oh. Yeah, that, that was, uh, she, she basically laid that up for him and he took it and it was, it was good. There was a couple of missed opportunities in the debates for her, by the way. There was a couple of times. But uh, anyway, um, it, it, that was a fascinating thing. And then it all kind of, it, it started bleeding into Obama as well. <sighs> Which leads us now to chapter three, President Obama. Lost in all this, and, you know, the chapter title for this would be, where is Obama? <laughs> question mark. Because that's the question. Where is he? In all this surveillance issue, in all this Russian collusion issue, and, and, and everything that Susan Rice might have done, where is Obama? Where is Clinton, for that matter? But Obama in particular, he, he's literally in Tahiti as we speak. But Apparently, you know, I'm quite convinced they have microphones and even email there accessible. They even have videos that they can they, upload. They might have Skype. They might even have Skype. But he's silent. No one's bothering to go to check, to, to check out his opinion on this matter. Or, you know, sir, do you deny that you orchestrated this surveillance or that you knew about this surveillance issue? What's, why is no one going to him? He's, the silence is deafening. Now, that's... that's to believe that Obama knew less than these people who supposedly knew less, that by definition, must know less than him, is not believable. Somebody surveyed these guys and, and went running with this incidental collection of information and, and decided to pursue it, and, uh, and, and, and there was all this unmasking going on. Yeah, in your organization, vast as it is, the people who work for you behave a certain way day in, day out, based on the implicit and explicit instructions and the things that they know you're okay with. Right. And what hasn't been mentioned that's glaringly obvious to me is, remember, this is the same president who has a, had an IRS being weaponized for political purposes yeah. with IRS agents and commissioners committing essentially felonies and committing perjury to protect him. Of course. All the while doing the same thing in spirit to American citizens as they're doing with the NSA CIA collection. Well, and we're supposed to not think there isn't a pattern of behavior here. Well, and he's so easily able to lie to the American people when it came to the ransom payments for the Iranian hostages, right? Which turned out to be not 400 million, but 1.2 billion and then 1.7 billion. The numbers kept on jumping. Uh, and then the Iranian deal and all the lies associated with that that were not to be told to the American population. And then, of course, uh, uh, Bergdahl, whatever his name was, and, that, and all the lies associated with that, um, it, it, the, the undermining of Israel, the, the, the games regarding the Arab Spring, and there's so much lying going on, there's so much distortion of reality, and, and clear corruption, just yeah, inside and, and out. And, and it's, a, it's a big lie, but it's not, it's a, 
at most it's corporate fraud, but the you can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan lie, which affects a lot of people well, in this perception. Right. Obamacare, it's, yeah, it's good again, example. It's again a pattern of behavior yeah. that the mainstream media just seems oblivious, well, not seems, is oblivious of because they can't bring themselves to investigate or, or look into this. Right. Because it goes to a place they don't want to see. Right. And, and this is a man who showed so much narcissism through his presidency as far as showing up in front of cameras and saying this or that or the other. Where is he showing up on camera these last few weeks with the the righteous indignation of, I had nothing to do with this. These were rogue operators. I condemn this. Right. How dare this this goes? I, if this happened, I apologize to Donald Trump. Right. This is not how we do things in America. This is not a quote from him. This is not who we are. Right. You know. Wait, wait. So he he should have done what you're saying, and I think you're right. He should have done what Reagan did when it came to the Iran Contra issue. Right. The arms for hostages, at least, where he said, I, I learned about this. This is bad. I did not know anything about this. However, the buck stops with me. I am responsible for this. I accept responsibility. He could have said that. He hasn't said that, nor is it in his nature to say that. He will never say that. All right. Now, what's fascinating to me is that Obama thought that he is just going to sail off to the end of his uh, retirement, writing books, perhaps, giving speeches. Perhaps he, too, can make uh, $200,000, $300,000 per, per speech and with all the books and everything else. And uh, people will, will glom onto him to see and to gain his wisdom about the latest, you know, Trump fiasco or whoever the Republican in charge may be in the future. And what would he do if he were the president today? Like Jimmy Carter, right? Um, and maybe he'll do some sort of Habitat for Humanity type thing. But no, no, no. It's not going to happen, <laughs> it turns out. It's, it's a little bit like the Godfather movies, right? Where the, the Don Corleone character and then Vito Corleone, right? And then Michael Corleone, both of them have the same thing. They, they, they both imagine that they'll be retired having totally legitimized their business, that they'll be out of the crime business altogether. And then what does Michael Corleone have to say in part three? Uh, not the best of the three movies, but still there's some wisdom to it. He says, every time, I, every time I try to get out, they keep on pulling me back in. And, and because that's the way it works when you're in crime. And that's what's going to happen to Obama. You see, he, his, his thought that he would have a clean exit. You know, I did the eight years. I wasn't impeached. Uh, you know, I, I think I led the economy in a good, good direction and everything else. Well, you know, not so fast, Mr. Obama, right? I'm glad Democrats are so ambitious and so positive about their ability to take on the office of presiding as chief executive of the United States that their main goal is not to get impeached. Yeah, I guess Again, so. Again, such yeah. a small horizon That's right, for yeah. them. But, but instead what's happening, uh, you know, just like Michael Corleone dies without having accomplished a single thing that he wanted to do in terms of legitimizing himself, and, and you... You, you come to understand that his nephew, played by Andy Garcia, is going to take over and do the exact same friggin' thing that he did. It will never end. It's a disease that just keeps on going. And, and that's what, it, what it's like for the Obama administration. They are still being haunted by their past. The, the, the haunt that came directly from the, the Benghazi investigation. It's all filtered. And if it, weren't, if, if it weren't that, maybe it would be something else. But Benghazi was clearly 
the main catalyst that opened up and the, the destruction for Hillary, but it also sucks down Obama as well. And, and that is what's so appealing to me in many ways, because I don't want Obama, I, I think he's such a crook, I think he's such a bad man. I, I, I want the country to go after him, because we know that he did something very illegal here. And uh, he's the man behind the surveillance. He's the man who, who thinks he could do anything. And we're now unraveling everything that he has done in the past. It's, we're going to discover more stuff. It's not, this is not well, the end. This is the tip of the iceberg. Tip. So, so, and now you see the, the Democrats circling the wagons. That's a phrase that you use, and I like that a lot. They are circling the wagons, right? Uh, from, they're, they're just saying anything they can to avoid the Susan Rice issue. I think CNN even said uh, out loud, do not talk about Susan Rice. Do not even think about it. We're not going to... We're not going to legitimize this crazy-ass story because it, it, there's nothing to it. Fox News can talk about it all at once, but it's stupid, stupid, stupid. Do not think about it, right? Which is like saying, you know, don't think about elephants, right? Well, of course, you're going to think about elephants. Why are they telling me not to talk about Susan Rice? Google Susan Rice, right? And you'll find out some interesting uh, things about this. I wonder what happened with Susan Rice <laughs> that they don't want me to know about. Oh, geez. The, right? Like that. Yeah. Because Simpsons. It's, it's a big deal, my friends. And it's about the corruption of this government that goes so far beyond what we saw in Watergate. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I dare say, this may be worse. I know I'm going on a limb here. This may be worse than when Romney had to admit that they put a dog on top of their station wagon when they were younger. Yeah, I went there. I know, I, that's extreme, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> the... the <laughs> The other reason circle the wagons is such a brilliant analogy or term to use or if you um, do say so yourself twist of art is because you can imagine it doesn't work very well. <sighs> yeah. You're circling the wagons. You're surrounded by a civilization that has all of its warriors right. know, hiding in the fields, ready to burn you out on the prairie. Oh, it's it's bad stuff. <laughs> but 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 not not only is it circling the wagons, but it turns out maybe the metaphor, the more apt metaphor, is that it's a circular firing squad. Yes. Right. That, that's what's really happening. Because they circle wagons and they're shooting in. Not that's out. that's my point. Yes. So so look, what what is Hillary Clinton going to do? What is Obama going to do? He's going to have to point to somebody else. He's going to have to say Susan Rice for sure was acting on her own, right? And and Hillary Clinton's going with regards to the Clinton Foundation and everything else associated with it. She's going to have to point fingers at at uh, Obama when it came to Benghazi, and it's it's bad. All of it's bad, um, and they're gonna they're gonna be in that circular firing squad for a long, long time, and that's why you're not hearing very much for Hillary from Hillary Clinton, nor are you hearing very much from Obama. Where is Obama? That's the question. We know physically where he is, of course, but his his failure to chime in on these subjects and to explain himself to distance himself at the very least, even while taking responsibility for it as the former executive in chief and the commander in chief, that's deafening. And, and that's, that's why I see this as a tragedy for him. It's going to keep on echoing forever and ever and ever. It reminds me of uh, all those great stories at the end of the day where you know, the, the end of the movie is that they're stuck with these people that they hate and they're always going to be having to deal with this one thing or the other, right? Um, having, having destroyed so many lives in the process as well. 
Um, so like the, like, uh, the, the Sartre play, uh, No Exit, right? And they're in hell, but they don't know that they're in hell until they finally figure it out that hell is other people, right? Uh, L'enfer, c'est les, les autres in French. And, and they just, they can't stand each other, but they're stuck with each other. And that's the way it is with uh, our friends Obama, Hillary Clinton, Susan Rice, and all those other the cronies. Whole game. Yeah. Clapper, Brennan, all oh, of them. They'll, they'll be, they'll be yeah. barking uh, at each other for years to come. Right. And you know the next main narrative as this breaks. Because the, the, if you just the, look at Pass's prologue, the way Watergate happened is things were coming out, but then a certain member of the cultural, if you will, elite turned. And that guy's name was Johnny Carson. And once he turned, it was over. And, uh, then, and we all know the rest of history and this tarnishing of Watergate. And the thing that Democrats have had and been able to retain all these years, and Bill Clinton was a big threat to it, was that, well, at least we never had Watergate. Well, <laughs> you guys just gave yourself something worse than Watergate. Oh, yeah. Something so bad that you guys, your party, will be hung with this albatross around your necks for 50 years on. And people won't even remember the name Watergate anymore when this is over. Well, yeah, I hope that, you're right. Those are the two things. And then one other point, I want to run this by you. If this comes full circle, because of precedent, and you're a lawyer, so you understand precedent, Obama has to be held accountable. Now, jail time or not jail time, you know, there's several kinds of punishment, disbarment, fines, etc. It, it may lead to incarceration or not. But if Obama is not hit with the full weight of, of uh, being held responsible for what's happened here, doesn't it just invite any future president who lacks moral virtue to do this too? Well, that's exactly right. Of course, it, it's uh, look. That, that's why I so badly wanted Clinton to be impeached and convicted when he was president. And I was a Democrat back then. I had voted for. I had at that point voted for him in '96, and then I, I subsequently voted for Gore because he wasn't Bill Clinton in 2000. Uh, then, of course, I changed in 2002 to uh, to be a Republican, but. And we talked about that before. The point is, I still wanted Bill Clinton impeached and convicted because, I, I, as I said back then, and I say, say now, that even though I thought he was a good president at the time, now I realize he was a bad president, of course, but at the time I thought he was a good president, I wanted him held accountable because the last thing we want is to, to send the message, not just to other presidents, but also to people at large, that you can say what you want in a deposition and that, that uh, it, it won't matter. Our whole system will collapse. We need to have this president impeached and convicted because otherwise uh, our, our whole justice system falls apart. That's why. Now, I'll wrap up with this. Um, if, if, it's, if it's that way that we're gonna see, you know, where's Obama and, all, and, and everything else, where's Clinton for that matter, and all those kind of wacky stories that are happening. The legacy factor, right? I mean, I mean, Obama, every president ends his presidency imagining himself at his own presidential library somewhere, wherever that might be. Or seeing his carving taking shape on Rush, Mount Rushmore. Right, yeah, right? Uh, that's, yeah. Oh, that's right. There I am. <laughs> it's all about legacy. And they think about their retirement plans and where they might go and what house they might build upon. and. Um, uh, you know, w w what, what speeches they'll be making and what charities they'll be giving to, and, and, and the books, of course, always the books. And, and then they, they see themselves, I was part of this big chain of all the presidents, 
in, in Obama's case, he was number 44 of all these great men, including George Washington and Lincoln, and from his perspective, FDR, and, and so on. And then all of a sudden, he's got to realize, not so fast, Mr. Obama. We're dragging you back. You know, you, you may want to get out, but we're, we're pulling you back in because all these misdeeds of yours, they, they require some action. They require at least some explanation of which you have given us none. There's a great movie from a long time ago, uh, 1985. It was called Jean de Florette. And it had a follow-up movie called Manon des Sources, which means uh, Manon of the Spring. And it's a French movie with all the famous actors of the day, the French actors of the day, you know, uh, Gerard Depardieu, um, uh, Dupin, I think it was, I forget his name. Oh, he's shoot. Montan. He's yes, yeah, he was in it. That's right. Um, brilliant actors, uh, one of the most gorgeous actresses ever to grace the Catherine earth. Deneuve. No, it wasn't Catherine Deneuve. Uh, you know, she, she didn't have a role there. She could have. But beautiful people and great actors, more importantly. And the story was beautiful. And I'm going to give a spoiler alert. So if you want to see it, skip, a, skip to the end of this, uh, this podcast, I suppose. But it's a brilliant movie. Simple story. And the lead character, the, the old man, uh, he's a souverain. That's his last name, souverain. And he's very frustrated because he only has his nephew as a souverain. And he believes in the name of the souverain a legacy. And he wants it to echo through the, throughout the decades to come. And only the nephew is his last hope. And he doesn't seem to be getting any girlfriend or wife or anything else. And he's going to get older and he won't have any children. And what will happen to the souverain legacy? It'll die with him. How horrible would that be? And you're talking about in English, a sovereign, uh, the family estate. The name, Sou the no, souverain means, uh, it's just a name, like, uh, like Michelson or something like that. That's all it was, the souverain legacy, oh, not, not sovereign, no. Specific, yeah, yeah. specific name of right, the right. family. Okay, in the meantime, there is, uh, he, there's a land you know, next to him. This is all, it takes place in Provence in the early 1900s. And he really wants that land because there's a spring in there. And the spring has great water. And it's a very simple story. He tries, to, by hook or by crook, to get it. He tries to force the, the, the neighbor to sell to him. He inadvertently kills that neighbor. And then, of course, he can't get the land. But he thinks that he can somehow buy it in an estate sale. Not so fast. It turns out that this man is, uh, is related to this uh, guy in Paris who's now inherited this property, played by Gerard Depardieu. That's Jean de Florette. He comes down. And he acquires this property. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he wants to be a great farmer. He wants to be one with nature. He wants to leave the, the tough nut days of Paris uh, to, to, to be out in the rustic countryside. Well, he's having a tough time. And, and um, the, the old man has blocked off the spring to make life very difficult for the uh, Jean de Florette. And he keeps on you know, cheating him and telling him all sorts of lies about this place and making it so difficult that eventually he'll be forced to sell it at a, at a dirt cheap price to the old man. What happens? Uh, indeed, the Gerard Depardieu character, he dies because he, he's just struggling so much. He dies in an attempt to get, find more water and it's just, it's awful. The little girl, uh, his little girl, uh, Manon, grows up and finds out that these men have been cheating her, her father. 
Ari, at the end of the movie, it's the most shocking ending you've ever seen. Through twists and turns, we find out that in fact, Jean de Florette was the old man's son, okay? The one thing he wanted, the legacy that he hoped to maintain of the souverain is now gone forever. And he killed him. And that, my friends, is what reminds me of the Obama administration. Everything that he hoped to achieve, he actually destroyed himself. He's going to end up looking like, and in, in, in all his quest to maintain and prop up his legacy, he in fact engaged in so much criminal behavior that he's going to destroy that very legacy. Oh, I love it. And that's why it makes such a Shakespearean tragedy. I, I, I want this to be the Shakespearean tragedy that it truly is. It, it, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We've just laid it all out there for you. And I, I, I wonder what, what will be the legacy at the end of the day. Will the, the Republicans be strong enough to force it? And, and it's one thing for Trump to say, let's not bother with it. Let's let bygones be bygones. And I want to move on with my own legacy and my own, you know, focus. I don't want to focus on the past. Uh, there, 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 that is an option for him. No, no. Trump is not Jeb Bush. <laughs> right? I understand. No, it's, it's an option. No, he did say, he did say at some point uh, just after the election, I'm, I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to touch Hillary Clinton anymore. But it, it may very well be that he didn't want Hil to touch Hillary Clinton. But guess what? Hillary Cl Clinton wanted to touch him. Yes. And Obama wanted to touch him. And so guess what? Listen, I wanted to leave you guys alone, but you won't leave me alone. Precisely. Yeah. So, yes. So guess what? I have to come after you. You've, made, you've given me no choice. And, and I think he truly has no choice as our true executive in chief, our commander in chief. He must do this for the good of the country to bring it, to, to show that, that even the president can't do this. That's what I love about this country. That's what I expected this country. And I, and I really want Trump to force this. This should be one of his guiding moments of, of his presidency. If he sees it, he will have my uh, undying support for the entire next seven and a half years. Yeah, and that tweet from those Saturdays ago, that proved it. Yeah. Because if he didn't intend on this, he would have never tweeted that, That's right. Brilliant. All right, my friends. Barack Lurie signing off saying God bless. Be safe. We'll talk with you next week.